The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the sensational podcast, The Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. This week's episode is recorded with Drew Dinkmeyer, my buddy, my close personal friend. Uh, this is actually is a, a very interesting episode, I think very near and dear to Drew's heart. We talk about uh, the Welly Maker, which is his big charity organization. If you have a Twitter account, by, by no doubt you've seen it at this point. Uh, we have, you know... Uh, uh, very similar to episode four, the conversations that Drew and I had about modern living and tribalism and, you know, our, our digital addictions and, and, you know, all sorts of things that don't really have much to do with sports. I still think the episode is good. I think most of you will enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, the bonus episode for getting to 200 ratings just came out. You guys are pretty close to 300. If you get it to 300, you'll get another bonus episode. Uh, so please support me on that. And uh, if you want to support the show, obviously sign up for my bookie using the promo code. And we'll get into an advertisement now and then get into the interview. Daily Roto is a mostly proud sponsor of the TakeCast, a mostly sports podcast. TakeCast listeners can save 10% at Daily Roto with the promo code Janis, J-A-N-I-S. If you are playing on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto will help you improve your daily fantasy results this fall and save time in the process with lineup optimizers, ownership projections, fantasy projections, premium content, and much more. They have all the good stuff that you want to help you make money at sports betting and daily fantasy. Their new lineup optimizer will let you build optimal GPP teams with stacks based on their projections faster than I can punt money off betting on Peter Uline. Sure, you can play the guys that I recommend each week, but shouldn't you also get advice from a proven daily fantasy winner like Drew Dinkmeyer? Yes, I do have better hair than Drew, but I also have his cell phone number. 
And that makes me a winner almost as much as it makes him a winner of the DraftKings Millionaire Maker. And it's not just fantasy. They have tools to bet on player props, golf matchups, and a customizable NFL game simulator for this fall. Head over to DailyRodeo.com slash premium and save 10% with promo code Janice today. All right, guys, we are joined uh, by Drew Dinkmeyer. I'm sorry, man, you're not the first repeat guest. Hermsmeyer Herms beat you, and and I should say, well-deservingly, he beat you also. His podcasts are full of actionable information. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a much better guest than I. I can't really compete with Josh on any level. The only level I can compete with him on is uh, donating to things, and I donated to his uh, research project. So I feel somewhat responsible for... Uh, for, for bringing Hermsmeyer's research to the to the front to the front of the Twitter pages, I didn't I didn't donate because he didn't accept crypto. Wait, because he didn't what? He didn't accept crypto, so I I was oh, like yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I I refuse I refuse to uh, give money to anything in non cryptocurrency. If your if your project needs Litecoin to fund it, let me know because I got a giant Litecoin bag. <laughs> I would love to get rid of. So it's uh, it's rough out in these streets. You probably don't follow this at all, but everything crypto is just in, it's in the total toilet. Everyone's bailing. So the only way that I follow crypto is via Twitter, and I can tell things are bad because nobody's tweeting about it anymore. That's how that's how I know things things have gone bad. Because when things are going good, it was. I just like, want I just want everyone to know I I still plan to tweet about Bitcoin always. Like even. When's the last time you tweeted about Bitcoin? Like three days ago, because that, that guy on Hard Knocks was like, I can't find any good investments. There's nothing that makes me any money. And I was like, someone tell that guy to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. And then and then Smiz had to come in and, and be Smiz Life and tell everyone to buy land. Like that's yeah. like that's an affordable investment for like 97% of people that are on Twitter. Yeah. No, it's easy. You just... You- you just you just go to the, the local city government. And you just be like, I, I just like a little bit of land. I was not like, a lot of land. I only have money for for like like a very small piece of land. I would like to buy one sidewalk square, <laughs> for which I will pay annually. So uh, the reason the reason that the uppity cast is getting ran back is uh, that the Welly Maker is happening, and you you so graciously said, you know, I don't want to do the show again until I have something to promote. So you're coming on to promote this great philosophical, philanthropical deal you have going on. So I want you to explain what the Welly Maker is, why you decided to do it, and how people can donate and help. Yeah, so last year we ran the first annual Welly Maker, and we have partnered with Charity Water, which I think is just an incredible organization. And really the organization kind of, in this case, inspired me to the cause. Um, it was 2006 when I heard Scott Harrison, the CEO of Charity Water, on a podcast with Bill Simmons, and it spoke to me in a way that pretty much no other podcast ever has. He had a background where he was he was a club promoter. He was doing a lot of things that were helping people around him enjoy and entertain themselves, but he felt a little bit empty inside that he wasn't doing anything to help the world. And that is exactly how I felt in 2006 or in 2016 when you know I'm a professional DFS player. I provide content on the DFS side and projections and it's, it's fun and it's helpful for people who want to enjoy themselves, but it really wasn't doing anything to help the world. I've been blessed by uh, my wife's inspiration to travel, that I've been able to see a lot of the world, and I've been able to see stark poverty. And so Charity Water's mission is to 
create sustainable water solutions, uh, clean water solutions for people all over the globe that don't have access to clean drinking water. And they are an unbelievable, amazing company that don't that 100% uh, of all donations go to water projects. So they have all of their overhead funded by outside donors. Any of the money that you donate to Charity Water or the Wellie Maker campaign or anything will go right to water projects. And last year we did this, we kicked it off and we raised $40,000, which was enough for about four fully funded water projects. We got an update on those that they're going to be uh, donated to uh, an area in Mozambique, which is one of the uh, areas in the world that's had the most challenges with access to clean water. And those projects are ongoing now. And the great thing about Charity Water is they continue to update you as the projects go out. So we'll eventually get pictures and GPS locations and I've gotten some video um, of some of the work that's being done with the money that was raised last year. And so this year, we're gonna do the same thing with the Welly Maker. Um, my, my idea behind it was that everybody is playing these you know, big DFS tournaments, the Millionaire Maker, the Fandle Sunday Million, whatever it is, and they're putting a small dollar amount to try to change their own lives. And during the course of the season, if you took one entry that you would have put into the Millionaire Maker for the Fandle Sunday Million and instead donated it to charity water through the Welly Maker, you could guarantee changing someone's life. Um, so last year I asked for you know donations at any level, but the idea was essentially to replace one, one entry level into one of those big DFS tournaments. Um, last year we had a couple incremental areas that I would match. Uh, we'll do the same thing this year, but my wife and I have guaranteed that we will match up to the first $40,000 in donations. So last year we raised 40,000. If we can match that this year, um, we'll raise 80,000 because I myself will be matching uh, 40,000. What a guy. What a guy, Drew Dinkmeyer. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a project I've gotten passionate about. It's a charity that I've gotten really passionate about. And you'll see me promoting it on Twitter. Um, I'll get you some information, Davis, to drop in the, the podcast description. But also, essentially, if you go to uh, mycharitywater.org uh, in, in uh, our, our charitywater.org and check out uh, Wellymaker 2.0, um, you can find all the information um, about donating to the project. So all of that will be in the show notes. If you guys, uh, if you guys want to know more, Drew, you know, almost no one in DFS is a good person. That's, that's the, mm -hmm. that's the big thing. So I, I will say that in the DFS arena, raising money for something that provides 0% ROI to the person putting the money in truly astonishing. You, you will you will very rarely find a lot of more selfish, uh, financially motivated people than in the DFS world. I think there's certainly a large percentage of people that would fit that mold, but you would be really surprised. Last year, I was really surprised um, at how much this this movement kind of took over and how much people were inspired to to donate. And one of the cool messages that I've heard from Scott Harrison before that he's talked about is the idea that you want to campaign to people and you want to inspire people to do things that they can achieve. Like Nike's, all their marketing goals and all their campaign goals are basically not like, hey, you're fat, you're out of weight, you know, you need us to get you in shape. It's unlock what's within you, you know, just do it or, you know, whatever their, their slogans are. It's the idea to inspire, like everybody has this capacity to give. And I ultimately believe like everybody at their core has the ability to to give and inspire and give back to people. And a lot of people around the world just don't have the same opportunities that we do kind of growing up in America. I, I grew up, you know, upper middle class. A lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably grew up the same. Getting access to clean water or education was never a concern. And those are the two things that ultimately for me are the things that I'm most passionate about trying to improve around the world. Because if we get 
everybody in the world that has access to clean water and everybody in the world has access to good education will probably have better people on the whole trying to solve all the world's problems. I would love even for for 80% of people in the United States to even be able to acknowledge how, how fortunate we are. Like, I, I just think that you know, very rarely in public school education that I received, did we did we really even talk about or discuss uh, how awful these situations are in third world countries and how little our country does to do about it. Like, I just think, I think for a majority, and at the very least, like a plurality of Americans, it's literally not something they think about more than once a month. Yeah, I think most of us just have the scope of who we immediately interact with as and we compare ourselves to those who we immediately interact with. So and you're always going to have people around you that have more access to resources or more wealthy or whatever. And you're going to have people around you that have less. Um, but there's a whole world beyond the people you immediately interact with that have different levels of opportunities and access to resources. And um, this is one of, this is one of the most basic things in the world. I mean, if you don't have clean water to drink, you can't stay healthy. And if you can't stay healthy and if you don't have a, a meaningful lifespan, then you, it's harder to make big impacts on the world. And so, you know, these areas, uh, most of them are like rural areas in Africa, India, um, that just don't have access to clean water. They're drinking really dirty, contaminated water as their normal drinking water. They're having to make decisions on whether they're able to bathe their children or themselves or or cook a meal with the limited water supply they have. Like those are decisions that we never have, have come up in, in my life in, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I drink from like double filtered um, water. I have like my whole house is filtered water. Like it's ridiculous, the level of like unbelievable water that I have access to. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it would be great if more people thought a little bit further outside of their immediate, uh, their immediate interactions. More, more philosophically, not even so much about, about your charity in general about this drive, but how, where do you come down on the idea that true altruism doesn't even actually exist? Like, like how good do you feel with all the, the ats that you get during the Welly Maker? Like how good, how good does anyone feel? You know, like, like, do you think that if this was not taking place on Twitter and that people couldn't tweet at you like, hey, I donated to your thing, do you think that uh, the money coming in would be a lot slower? So if you can't, if you can't spread the word, obviously the money coming in will be a lot yeah, slower. Sure. Um, but in terms of like true altruism, I think, I think a lot of internal happiness can be found by your ability to kind of lift up others around you. And so in this regard for me, like being able to spread awareness and leverage the platforms that I have, there is a lot of inherent uh, happiness that is derived from being able to try to help others and to try to make a difference. And the thing that I like about Charity Water compared to some of the other charities out there is that when I donate to Charity Water, I get feedback back from them throughout the project on how things are going. So I feel inspired and I feel like rewarded because I'm seeing the impact that it's making. If I donate to you know the local uh, Red Cross or you know the Salvation Army or whatever I don't see the results of that donation and I feel good when I'm making the donation but I don't get kind of tapped down the road to say hey like this is what happened this is how you change someone's life um, and so I think you know those are natural benefits um, that come from you know being charitable and I think they're you know whether they're truly altruistic or whether there's like hidden motivation inside each human being to get positive feedback loops. I don't think it really matters at the end of the day. Um, it does inspire me and it does like help me to keep going, but like 
I don't know. I get, I get a lot of ads that are also horrible too. Like during this campaign, like people that are like, Oh, you just do this for a tax write off or, Oh, you're, you know, you don't, why don't you donate to this project here at home? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like you're never going to make everybody happy, but at the end of the day, if you feel like you're making a difference, um, it can make a big difference in the way you just, you know, carry yourself in the perspective you have. I actually do not like when charities follow up with me because I, because I know, I know that I am a glory hog. Like I just know that about myself. I bask in the ads. I like, I just love positive recognition. So I just, like I, and I will only say that like the two things I donate to are the ACLU and end violence against women international. But I don't, I don't want these companies sending me things. I don't want them to tell me how such and such went. Like I know that they do good things and I know the more like into it I get, the more I'll be like, yeah, I did that. Yeah. I made sure, <laughs> I made sure that this person didn't go to jail or I like this or that or the other. And like, so I like, just cause I am very aware of that about myself. I, I want to give the money away and then I want to forget that it happened. Cause if not, it'll become like a selfish, not as good thing. That's interesting. So I don't think of these things. I mean, I always think of these things in the fact that like the charity is the one that's doing incredible work. Like, you know, I'm I'm just helping. Well, you're a more well-adjusted person. Than I'm just I am. helping leverage a platform. Like the people at Charity Water are the ones doing the amazing work in in the world and in the fields, and they're working with local partners to build all the wells and, and everything. Um, and same thing for like you know the ACLU, those all the the lawyers that they have kind of doing all the work that they're doing um, for for civil liberties. Like those people are the ones doing the really incredible work. And I hope there's a part of my life that I get into that nonprofit side where I'm doing a little bit more hands-on of the work itself because I think it's really fulfilling. Well, you know, it is hard. It is hard to do the the dirty work for, for the nonprofits when you're like really having to think about whether or not Nikola Jokic is going to get 40 or 44 <laughs> DraftKings points against the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's difficult to do both. Yeah, it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, ultimately I think I'll get there, but you know, We'll see. We'll see what, what the DFS path brings me. It's so, it's so interesting working in daily fantasy and being so obsessed with it. It's just, I feel like there's just a tinge of hypocrisy in everything I do outside of DFS because I just, I think DFS is like, like honest to God, like the most selfish thing I've ever done in my life. Like it's, it's just about acquiring more wealth. Like providing content is about acquiring more wealth. My lineups are all about acquiring more wealth and taking it from someone else. Yeah. And that's a lot of what struck me when I heard Scott Harrison's episode with Bill Simmons, that he felt the same way with a lot of the things that he was doing. I think there will be times that I will try to convince myself that I'm doing things that I think help others in terms of like, I'm helping others provide entertainment or get away from their day and different things with the content and the projections and different things that I provide. But you know, ultimately what, what I'm doing is I'm helping people try to try to improve their own wealth or take their own wealth. And ultimately it's a zero sum game. So someone else is losing wealth in that, in that interaction. So it is a little bit of a struggle uh, and a little bit of an inconsistency from kind of what I'm trying to do to better the world on the whole. People contain multitudes. Every, everyone's shades of gray. Yes. I would, I, I would love if people like, I know you were saying you would love if people could recognize that, you know, the circumstances that they have compared to the rest of the world in different situations. I would love if people could understand the multitudes, um, in a, in a different facets of people that you can like one aspect of a person and not like other aspects of a person. And that's okay. 
you don't have to like hate everything about a person or love everything and worship everything about a person. And it's okay for people to have different facets that you agree or disagree with. All right. Lighter, lighter subject. You, you just will not shut up about this show explained <laughs> on Netflix. You've texted me about it. You tweet about every episode that comes out on, on Netflix. So I want you to shill for the show for a little bit, but then also I think there's like a larger discussion to be had about education and about um, the way people learn and engage with information. And that's really at the root of why I think the show has resonated with me so strongly is the show's a Netflix uh, docuseries called Explained. And they take random topics, like really random topics. They've, the, the range of topics has been like Korean pop music, tattoos, weed, the stock market. Um, the most recent one was on Lifespan. There's been one on Designer DNA. And they're like 15 to 18 minute episodes that are documentaries about that subject and kind of what's going on in the research or like how the history of like tattoos came to be and how different tattoos have different um, origin stories, essentially, like where they come from culture wise. And I think the stuff is really cool and fascinating. But the fact that it's just 15 to 18 minutes, I stay locked in the whole time. And there's not a lot of content that I um, consume anymore that I am locked in for the entirety of the content consumption process. Like if I put on a Netflix comedy, a stand-up comedy routine, I'm like, I have it on the background in the background while I'm working or something. And there might be like a joke or a couple jokes that like grab my attention. And I look up and I'm like focused, but during the course of that hour, hour and 15 standup, like I'm probably locked in for like 10 to 12 minutes. And that's how I feel with a lot of the shows I watch as well. So this 15 to 18 minute, like ability to consume has me focused because I know there's an endpoint coming and it's coming at a reasonable time. So I'm kind of locked into the show the whole time. And I find the, I find learning about the different topics really interesting because I find out a lot about something that I didn't know much about. Like I didn't know much about tattoos. I didn't know much about weed. That's not been my life. So like understanding more about different things I find fascinating. Well, I haven't been in a classroom in a long time, like for like three or four years, something like that you know, 40, 50, 40, 50 years for you, probably yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. But I can only imagine, you know, as my brain has gotten more damaged by all the screens, as I've become, as I've become even more stunted and attention span limited due to all of this, I can, I can truly only imagine how boring it has got to be to be in a classroom right now. Like, like, can you imagine sitting through a PowerPoint lecture about biology for an hour? No, I can't right now. I mean, they, probably, I, they didn't even have PowerPoint when you were in school, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we had, we had, uh, we had chalkboards. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't, it's, it's a struggle for me. Even content that I really like, like, sir, like, uh, there was Andrew Wiggins recommended this, uh, investor field guide pod, uh, yesterday with this Boyd Barty dude, who's like a South African tracker and talked, talks a lot about how his, his, uh, life has been so strongly influenced by the land and by uh, animals and, and different things. And I'm sitting there listening to this podcast and I'm like, this is fascinating. And then I, I recommend the podcast to a bunch of people. And then like later that night, I'm trying to think back about what specifically I loved about that podcast. And I'm like, oh man, I'm not retaining a ton. Mm -hmm. And it's because I don't sit there in like a completely walled off area listening to something. I have like Slack open or I have gchat open or i have twitter open and i'm reading other things while i'm listening and so it's all this distracted uh, educational process and i can't imagine the challenges that teachers face these days trying to communicate to students who have that as like a natural part of their their daily routine now 
I mean, how outdated really though is like the model? Like school has been the same for 150 years, more or less. You go, you go to a room with other people your age and, and you, some information gets disseminated to you and in some way you're expected to repeat or regurgitate or summarize that information at a later date. Yeah, I think, I think the thing that I kind of realized as I got further along in my education was that the best teachers are ultimately the ones who aren't thinking about getting you the information in a way that you just have to kind of regurgitate it back out. They're ones that are trying to find creative ways for you to connect with the information. And you know, they're ones that might like do things where they set up like skits or sketches where you try to like try to put yourself in the place if it's like a history class or something like that. So you have some other memory that you can connect to outside of just trying to memorize stuff to pass a test. And that's basically what my education process was most of my life. I was just trying to memorize stuff to pass a test and then stuff goes away because you don't have any like anything to kind of latch onto when you're trying to remember uh, the education you had. So it's, it, it seems like a broken model. I don't know a ton about what advancements they've tried in terms of the US education system. And I'm really far out from the last time I was in a classroom. Um, but that model seems extremely vulnerable in this day and age when attention spans have, have shortened so, so substantially. My guess would be that at, uh, you know, really nice private schools, education is a lot different. My, my, that's, this is my guess. But my guess, Drew, is that if you went to Dartmouth right now and you went into whatever class, it would not be recognizable to what you did when you were there. It would be it would be a lot different. Whereas if I went to if I went back to K State and walked into a class, I'd be like, oh, this is just a class. Like this is just a class where someone's getting taught, and the teacher could be good, and the students could be engaged, but it, it's not going to look much different. Yeah, I can say that things felt that way to me when I was in school, and I would visit my friends at other state universities, and I would see their classrooms or their curriculum or different things. Um, it was. It was, it was, it was like, it was just very standardized. It was like, it was meant to try to feed a class of like 150 people. And there wasn't opportunities to like have back and forth and to try to um, improve at least the entry level class classes, like statistics and different things like that. Whereas like most of my classes at Dartmouth, most of them had like 20 people in them. So there was like a lot of, you know, ability to go back and forth with professors on stuff. Well, that was, that was my experience too, but that's not, that's not what I meant. I more meant in the sense of how the information is being disseminated. Like I bet there's a lot more screen time. There's like yeah. going to be like probably kids have iPads, like, yeah. like university distributed iPads. There's going to be like videos. There's like no paper quizzes, like all, everything would be on a screen would be my guess. Whereas like, you know, the public high school that I went to, it's not getting screens in it for 40 years. Yeah. Like they're just too broke. And like, I, I, this is like uh, something that I have not heard discussed very much, but this gap of like haves and have nots is going to get even wider, the better, the more expensive schools get and the like, you know, the farther yeah. the public schools are going to fall behind. So I think that's, I think that's the biggest challenge going forward is kind of that wealth gap and how that equates to so many different substantial uh, uh, disadvantages to people that whether it's on the education side, whether it's on the health side, like I've, I had, I've done a ton with my own health in the last year. Um, and it's, 
really expensive to like constantly get blood work done and get, you know, genetic testing and different things. Um, and this is stuff that pe most people just wouldn't have the ability to afford by any means. Um, and so like every level of society, as the wealth gap separates, you're going to create more and more disadvantage uh, between people. And I think education is probably the one, I don't know, because people have such strong negative opinions about Bet Betsy DeVos and, and like her being at the Secretary of Education. I think it's coming to the forefront a little bit more, but the lack of investment in the space just seems seems like that's going to be the biggest kind of driver in separating uh, countries in the future. Like if you look at like the, the countries that have invested tons in education uh, over the last two decades, like China and whatnot, um, the average education of their population is just so much stronger. Eventually, like eventually the world powers are going to turn based on how much you're, you're investing in education. Yeah, it's true. And like, I don't know, it's, it's easy to say like the average American is an idiot, but like the average, you know, English person probably is an idiot too. Like it's, it's, it's hard for me to say, like, I just think, I do think part of this is just, there's so many people on the earth that there's, it's just yep. going to seem like there's a lot more idiots, like a lot of more dumb people. Well, also, um, reproduction rates like this is like the whole plot to idiocracy um reproduction rates at like the lower education levels tend to be higher because they don't have access to birth control and different things like that um and so as a result you just ha tend to have more people populating uh at kind of lower you know the the lower levels of where society is like taking care of them so like the lower income levels the lower education levels tend to have population rates that are a little bit higher than the higher education levels. And so like, and this is this, I like a lot of my friends are in their mid thirties with like no kids and mm -hmm. have like really high education levels. And a lot of them are like, yeah, I just, I don't know that we have the money to be able to do this long-term. And these are people that are very wealthy. Like, I don't know if I have the money to have like multiple kids and have them grow up the way that I want them to grow up with private right. and different things like that. Um, so it becomes like a, a, a disadvantage where the population is growing in different ways as well. The corporations love it though. More, 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 more poor farm, you know, it's just like more poor people to herd into the factories and pay less. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Cause I, and those people have some earning power that all funnels upward. Until automation removes the necessity for those people. And then what happens? I don't know. Like once all those the great, like, the great war, man, it's coming. Yeah. Like once, once factory jobs and whatnot are like totally removed because automation has like totally eliminated them. Then you've got like a whole segment of the population that is basically born poor, born with no access to education and born with no upward mobility. Yeah. Then what do you do? Then, then you, then you brace for, well, then, for then whatever, the, for the then, revolt. Then the really rich people try to find another planet to migrate to which is what like Bezos and Elon and whatnot are, are trying to figure out now. Is yeah. Like, what absolute evil husks of human beings those guys are like, how do we get, how do we get the, the rich people to all like be able to find another planet that we can try again on? Yeah. How do they all get to Mars? Yeah. I hope they get there. I hope I get to come with them. I hope I get to be, Probably not. I, no, I hope I get to come as like the court jester. <laughs> I'll make an episode of the take cast with one of you idiots every day. That's my, that's my pitch. That's my pitch to get to the space shuttle. What would be your pitch to get on the shuttle? I offer something oh, of man. tangible value. 
Yeah, I don't think I have anything. They'd get uh, so bored up there without podcasts. Yeah, I, I don't think I got anything that would keep keep them entertained, and I don't think my worldview would necessarily uh, would necessarily coincide with theirs so well mine mine wouldn't either but i'm a survivor so i could change my worldview if i knew i'm, I'm definitely like you know you have how you have fight or flight instincts i am flight yeah see I'm, I'm the I'm exact opposite flight. way i i'm i'm definitely fight yeah i'm going down quickly and like the the revolution i'm gonna be one of the first people dead i'll be on the i'll be on the space shuttle i won't <laughs> be on the front line of the revolution because i will survive the revolution so i will be somewhere you know stockaded I will be I will be finding a way to survive. Speaking of the revolution, uh, just had Denny Carter on an episode. Uh, we didn't talk very much football. We it was yeah. it was mostly a politics podcast. Uh, surprisingly, no uh, mega idiots have have added me yet, though I'm expecting it. You know, once they once they get to it, uh, you know, they'll 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 find me. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a minute to tell you about Apex Fantasy Leagues, the best place to play online season-long fantasy football for money. There is a skill-based format where you play two games per week, and there's industry-leading payouts where Apex actually adds money to the payout pool. Uh, they really ensure that the best fantasy players get the good return on their investment. Apex hosts 12-team PPR leagues that provide a variety of drafting options, live or email, snake draft or auction. You also have the flexibility to sign up for a league just hours before the draft. On top of that, Apex pretty often puts extra money from their profits into the prize pool to make sure that leagues get filled. Apex also offers dynasty leagues uh, in a variety of formats. And finally, Apex is the place to play if you want to win big money in a format that mitigates randomness. Not only does Apex have the highest payouts in the whole industry on a percentage basis, but it also features both blind bidding, free agent acquisition budgets, so that all free agent acquisitions are fair in two matchups per week, one versus a head-to-head -head opponent and the other versus the league average, so that you know you don't get screwed when your opponent has the most points and you have the second most points. You're still going to come out of that week with a win. You can compete every week without worrying about arbitrary strength of schedule. Give it a try. I promise you will love it. Go to apexfantasyleagues.com today and sign up. And now let's get back to the show. Um, so where are you at on the hope meter right now for, for all of this? Just the, the deeply systemic, you know, disingenuous bullshit. Where are you at? Um, I'm pretty close to hopeless, I would say. I, I'm now the person that when I like get together with my friends who most of my friends kind of live around the country. So when we get together, I haven't seen them in a long time. And usually when like we're talking about stuff or I'm the one now who's like Eeyore. I'm the one who's like, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about humanity's paths out of this kind of whirlwind that we're, we're, we're marching towards and I don't see paths now. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty like long-term hopeless for humanity, which is sad. I'm doing like, I want, I want to be hopeful and I want to be optimistic. And, um, the things that help me do that are, you know, is like, you know, the, the Welly Maker project and different things like that. But ultimately we just have a world right now where people who have a lot of access to resources um, are, are hoarding them and they're not in, they're not trying to share those resources to be able to help people grow as a whole. 
And if you don't do that, I don't know how you get out of the path of trying to solve all these things. If everybody can only think of their immediate selves and like their family as the most important things and only take care of that, um, we have too much, too much accelerating wealth gap, too many different problems going around the world to like get out of that um, kind of march towards the death of humanity essentially. So I'm, I'm really hopeless. I'm kind of, well, if you want to, if you want to feel better about it, every other time in human history where the rich have hoarded too much stuff, they've all ended up dead. Yeah. So, I mean, we're eventually going to like, I was actually not joking about the revolution. Yeah. This is like something that's now in play. I'm not either. I think it's, it's likely going to happen. I mean, what's happening right now around the world is nationalism is spreading really strongly. And what happens there is usually when you get nationalism spreading really strongly, you get all sorts of atrocities uh, with like local genocides or you get mass world war. And the, the concern now with mass world war is simply that the weapons we have are so much stronger than the weapons we've had before in terms of the ability and the power of nuclear weapons. So I think if you head in that direction, um, you face really, really big problems with potential nuclear war. But if you head in the other direction where that gets like cut off, is with lots of little revolutions kind of around the world and people rising up to try to overthrow governments and stuff. And that's just a really messy situation as well. So I don't know. I believe that a revolution will eventually happen because people are going to be forced to the brink. I mean, you look at, uh, there was this article I read a few months ago about how the U.S. is establishing a whole new level of poverty in that basically it's not poverty in the sense that people are poor. It's not poverty in the sense that people don't have access to uh, drinking water or uh, vaccines or different things that will keep them healthy. It's poverty in the sense that everybody or a high percentage of the population is walking around and they're one misstep away from being unable to recover ever again mm-hmm. because the systems are not set up to help them, whether it's you know stuff with like mental health that people aren't set up to recover from, whether it's stuff with like the criminal justice system where basically like if you if you screw up at a young age and you get thrown into the criminal justice system, it's extremely difficult to get yourself out. And then, um, or simple things like healthcare, like right now, like the, the head of GoFundMe talking about how like, you know, uh, a huge percentage of the GoFundMe projects right now are just for healthcare related, just people, yeah, people asking, cancer yeah, just people needing money to be able to treat themselves when we have, we have the medicine around. So it's like this weird thing where we're creating this level of poverty where nobody has the ability, like the only people that have the ability to save are the people who have generational wealth that's being passed down to them. And so as a result, you've got people just living on the brink of disaster all of the time. And that pressure that is put on you from a mental perspective is extremely taxing. And that carries through to society because it creates a bunch of people who are individually more interested in hoarding because if they don't, they face potential imminent personal disaster if they don't hoard. So like it's a super, super uh, risky setup for you know, for the population in the U S is like doing this thing because the wealth gaps are, uh, are accelerating. Housing's becoming more expensive. Healthcare is becoming way more expensive that people can't and, and wages aren't increasing. So people can't do, they can't make enough money to keep up with the rising cost of just being, being a alive. Human being. Yeah. I mean, like I make, I, what I would say is definitively good money for someone my age. Like I make the most money out of everyone I know in terms of like the guys who I'm friends with, like these are all people with careers and like, I've just gotten lucky to make good money. And I'm in like, if I, and if I got cancer bankrupts, like, you know, if if something bad happened to me, like I feel like very, 
well off considering my circumstances growing up. But if something bad happened to me, that'd be it. There'd be like that and, one thing. And because the cost of healthcare is so high, people don't often go to see doctors. Mm-hmm. So things don't get caught early because there's no, there's no incentive to be preventative yeah. in that measure because it's so expensive to do so. So you've, got, you've just got this system set up that people are just kind of living on the brink. And that's when, when everybody's kind of living on the brink and tensions are rising kind of from the ground up. That's kind of the backdrop or atmosphere that would be conducive to a revolution. I'm here for it. I'm not. I, I'm just going to be hiding in my house while all hell's breaking. They're probably out. coming for you, man. I know. I'm the, I'm the person they're coming for, even though like I'm, you know, I'm trying to help. I mean, not really. I'm trying to help monetarily. Sure. Like actually out actively in the streets, like trying to help. I'd like to get there. Well, the Republicans have done this really great thing where they've just convinced this, this giant mass of poor people that actually what's best for them is for the rich people to keep the money. It's, it's like amazing. So I think the, the amazing thing that politicians have done is they've really mobilized whatever their bases are in the idea that the other base is bad. No yeah. What. Mm-hmm. So instead of people voting in their best interests, instead of people d- thinking of problems in a way, in a, in a framework of like, oh, this would be better for me. This is how I'd like to you know, raise my vote. People have the framework of, well, what, what affiliation is that person? And if that person's my affiliation, then I agree with them. If they're not my affiliation, I disagree with them. And that toxic level of, uh, of, of, of reactions towards policy creates it so that, hey, policy doesn't matter, right? It just, it all, does, that mat- yeah. all that matters is what part of a tribe you are and who's winning the tribe game. And so all these rich people, like most politicians are very, very wealthy. All these, all these politicians on both sides have set up a structure that they can continue to benefit wealth-wise and nobody challenges them because they just set up their bases and they don't try to speak to the other base in any way, shape, or form. And it's extremely destructive. And I think it's, you're seeing the results of it over time. And this has been sowed for years and years and years, it seems, where the conversation has flipped away from what are, you know, what are the things that we can best do to move civilization forward and the conversation is flipped to what are the best things I can do to make my tribe move forward uh, whether I'm Democrat or Republican or, or whatnot and that's not going to be a way to solve any of these problems long term no and and I don't mean to say like yeah obviously like obviously I'm a Democrat and in general I vote Democrat but like if if like the socialists were like a legit third party that was like more organized and stuff, I would probably vote that way because I actually think centrism is like in general, not great. And really the Democrats for the last 15 years have really just been a more watered down version of a lot of Republican policies. Like Obama had a couple things that were much more left leaning, like obviously the healthcare thing. But if you look at like what Obama and the democratic Congress, those eight years did, like there was still a lot of like war hawking stuff and like not, not really sweeping changes. Like, like life was not changing for the average American with the Democrats in power over those eight years. So, so when I, when I criticize the Republicans, I don't want it to make it sound like, Oh, clearly these idiot Democrats that couldn't defeat Donald Trump in an election. These are, these are great smart people who have things figured out. They can't even figure out, you know, a good presidential candidate to run when they have all this time to think about it. 
So the other thing that I would say there is that I think, because you, you mentioned like socialist left and people will immediately have such a negative reaction to socialism because we've all been trained um, through years of like public education and whatnot capitalism good yeah, well, who do you bad. think who do you think set those politics who, who right. do you think set those policies for you to learn about how bad socialism and communism right. were so, when you were so, 10 so capitalism good socialism bad that is the framework we are always we are always taught from so the idea that there could be any parts of socialism that could be good or there could be any parts of capitalism that could be bad is very foreign to people I mean, so you know, you know, those Nordic states that people always talk about, about how socialism yep. really outside of like the healthcare and the school system, all of that being, you know, centralized in government, like there's a lot of capitalism involved in yeah. all of these societies. Yeah. And it works and I, great. And I think that's ultimately the type of society that probably will work best going forward is elements of both because you just have these challenges ahead of you with automation and different things that are going to narrow the job pool in general as the population pool keeps growing. So I feel like, but people are so programmed, like there's so much messaging that you're taking in subconsciously from a really young age that shapes your framework on things. And I noticed this from my perspective, because I grew up with, I would say, um, one side of my family is very Republican leaning. And I think the other side of my family is more liberal leaning, but not super political, at least when I was growing up. So I had more exposure to the conservative side of my family. And there were so many words or phrases that like I was taught at a young age that like I didn't think twice about until like I got older and I kind of thought through, oh, well, that that's bad messaging that I've had my whole life um, where I just reacted to the word instead of thinking about the problem. Like I remember a bunch of people like from a young age being told like estate tax, double taxation, like immediately. And so that was my immediate response to everything. I never like thought through the problem of people being able to carry over generational wealth and keep moving down and yeah you want to have you want to have good schools you want to have good roads live in a place that has state income tax yeah and then you hear like and then you'll hear people who like any social benefit is welfare right like that's that's the messaging alongside it and welfare um in this country is for for poor people who don't work hard that's what people think of when they think of welfare they don't think of it in the sense of like providing opportunities for people to live their best life or to, or to like get themselves out of a troubling situation. Or, or how about doesn't... the fact that we live in the richest country on earth and just like if your grandmother falls and breaks her hip, she shouldn't die alone in a shitty nursing home? Yeah. So like we just have, we have all this bad messaging from a young age and I feel like that's the same thing with socialism and capitalism. And so I think the establishment politicians are doing a very good job leveraging the fear of the population of socialism in general like they let they label anybody that's far pretty far i mean the they're, they're doing it they're doing it with this gal ocasio cortez yeah. who's like yeah. what she's like a she's like a you know this very small district in new york yeah. right yeah. like i mean what maybe two hundred thousand people i i don't even actually know like yeah. this woman doesn't matter she she will not change a single thing her policy will not influence hardly anyone but, it's, this, it's the spread of her ideas that people yeah, are afraid of. Yeah, but we have, we have Republican politicians from, you know, basically from Trump down, from the literal president, you know, talking bad about this, uh, this woman I, for so no I, reason. I think, I think one of the funniest things about how she's been portrayed is the idea that um, people are like, oh, she's so dumb. She doesn't know anything about policy. And she's had some bad moments in terms of being in front of the media. But these are a lot of the people who are saying like, oh, she's so dumb. She doesn't know anything about policy. You shouldn't listen to her. Also don't know anything about policy. Voted for Donald Trump or yeah. like, like clearly who d doesn't 
doesn't pay attention. That's not why they're voting. Actively, like, says, I don't want to read briefings and whatnot. Like, show me pictures, basically. Um, so, like, people just are going to judge the woman. No, but, but Drew, that's the fake news media. That's that, right. that, that reporting that's not real. Donald Trump knows all the time zones. <laughs> so, the, you know, and, and people also like to, like, historically like to talk down to women. That's another thing that happens in our culture quite a bit because of all the messaging we've received at a young age that, you know, women are meant to be um, not heard from, essentially. And so I find it interesting to watch people, people who I think are pretty, like, I don't know, pretty well adjusted. And like, they, they, they look at her and they're like, oh, she's so dumb. She doesn't know every little policy level. And they don't think that about, you know, anyone on their team or whatever. And this is the, 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 the matter of the fact with politicians is it is impossible for them to know everything about everything. Like that is a stupid expectation to hold anybody to. They have staffers who- They have like 500 staffers. Yeah, that help be specialists in certain areas so that they can help them. And then they're supposed to leverage the will of the people in their own districts to make decisions, but none of that happens. But the, but the, but the way that people are trying to quickly shut down the new ideas because it's being defined or messaged as socialism, as opposed to like perhaps aspects of socialism that might be useful in our current environment, um, because people are so afraid of like the spread of socialism. Everybody references Venezuela. No, nope, like most, and then most people on the left will Bitcoin huge in Venezuela. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting how like messaging from a really young age shapes the way you react immediately to different words and different wordings. Um, and how we like immediately react to people. And there's stuff with, uh, with race relations that is uh, relative to this as well. Like from a very young age, you're taught black, evil, white, good. And like all the cartoons you watch, the person dressed it, And it, it's like, person. it's so coded that if you told someone that just on the street, they'd be like, well, that's not true. No one once was ever racist around me. Yeah, but, but, it's, but so, it's, sub, it's, it's subconscious so stuff. Yeah. And that's the other thing about the discussion around racism that's been hijacked completely is like the idea of if you're racist is you know, do you actively hate people from a different race? It's not, are you supporting systems that subconsciously uh, keep people down or don't give people the same types of opportunities? And that, I mean, the answer that whole is dis- yes. Yeah, that whole discussion has been hijacked as well. So that the people who are reacting to, I'm not a racist or I don't, I don't think that way, they're thinking of, I don't actively hate this person. They're not thinking of like, oh yeah, I support all these policies that make it so that they never have an opportunity out of low-income areas or different things like that. Everyone, you need to vote. You need to vote. This, uh, this, is, this, this November, it's actually huge. Like, it's like, like, I voted in the primaries this year and I like never go vote in the, pri- like, like local primaries, I normally don't go vote. But this year I did because I was just like, it's everything going on right now. It's too important. Like, you got to go vote. Yeah, I think, I think there's... And I think a lot of, that was the same momentum for people who wanted um, Trump elected is that they felt like we need to go out and vote. What's happening is very dangerous and we need to get away from establishment politicians. And I think there's something correct in that. In that, that, in that idea. That part sure. of the mindset. Yes, totally. I think there's a lot of other things that those people were willing to overlook that I don't personally agree with and I would not be willing to overlook. But I think that mindset is correct. And I think the system does need to change. Um, so yeah, I've been more active in voting as well, but I was never a person. I was never political. The first, uh, like the first election I ever voted in was last election. I just didn't care before, but now, but I was also privileged. That's gross, man. I I was super privileged. I didn't have the need to care. The policies didn't feel like they were affecting me personally. 
And that's a super like privileged, arrogant uh, way to think. Well, about it's it. true. In some it's respects. It's yeah. true that, that a lot of those policies did not have a giant impact on you in your life. Yeah. Very true. To me, it's more of like, uh, if, if everyone voted, if truly everyone, everyone 18 and older voted, like a lot of these problems we have now would not exist. You, you would just not have this sentiment that these people in Washington were out to get you. I, I just feel like as if, if everyone was an active participant in the political process and had been for the entirety of, you know, the last 50 yeah. years, I just think things would look different. Well, I think things you'd, would have be a, you'd have a wider pool of applicants that we would be choosing from, which is always a good thing. Yeah, it, til- it tilts me that my options are to vote for this white Christian guy yeah. or this white Christian guy. So you'd have a wider pool of applicants. You'd also have a younger uh, population yeah. base within the people who are making decisions, which is another thing. Those people are incentivized totally differently from you or I. Like a 65, 70 year old person making decisions has a totally different incentivization uh, than we do. They're only going to be on this earth for 30 to 50 more years, right? So they don't have to think long term. They are just making decisions about what can set them up in their best way immediately. Whereas people who are, you know, 25 to 35 have to potentially live on this earth for like 90 more years. So those people have much more incentive to try to fix things long-term. And so, you know, things, whether, you know, climate change or whatever, like you, you would have more policies directed towards potentially trying to fix long-term problems because those people have to live in that world that they've created. Yeah. I mean, and just in general, having old people in charge is probably not like the sharpest thing anyways. Like those aren't, those aren't people who are, those aren't people who are having new ideas. Those aren't people who are functioning at like even top mental capacity. The people who have never experienced, like don't know how to like, and we we can joke about me being one of these old people because I don't know how to like text message from my computer because I don't have an Apple. Um, but like the people who like don't know how to operate like iPads and, or their phone or whatnot are the people who are going to solve like the challenges of technological automation. Come on. Like they, we're big, they're not, we're big on cyber here. They're not going to, yeah. Or like figuring out cybersecurity metri- measures that need to be in place. Like these aren't the people who like are going to have the best handle on this stuff. So why are we choosing these people to like run everything? It's because we have a really small pool of applicants to choose from and it's usually establishment and establishment like there's there's a there's you know the, um, there's that eddie murphy movie that i that i forget the name of now where he basically runs on the same name of the previous politician that died and he gets elected without ever like showing his face in campaigns or anything because people just recognize the name and that's a lot of voting establishment as well some guy in Kansas, there was like uh, the attorney general general or something was running unopposed. And some guy in Kansas was like, well, that's not right. So sick guy with the same name runs. So there was two guys named like Ken something on the ballot. <laughs> distinguished, funny. distinguished gentleman, I believe is the Eddie Murphy movie that I'm now remembering. There you very, go. Great. Very old. Very old, way before your time, Davis. Great, yeah. I'm not gonna not gonna watch it. <laughs> not gonna watch Distinguished Gentlemen. Um, so since the last time we talked, have you have you done anything about uh engaging or unplugging from the digital nightmare more? No, and it's bad. Um the only time that I'm able to do it is when I like go on vacation. And when I go on vacation, like my wife will get me to do meditation and different things. Um and I feel so much better. I feel so much more unbelievably like sharp and focused and awake and not tired. Um, and for me, 
these are huge challenges for me upcoming with football season and basketball season when the two overlap, my schedule just gets crazy. And I basically like never leave the house for like four months. Um, and so it's, it's frustrating for me. Like when I look back and I didn't take advantage of this summer when I kind of had more downtime to kind of reestablish some practices in my own life that would help my mental health and help my focus and help my attention span. Meditation is, is huge. It's like they, you have like people I think would kind of dismiss it out of hand if they have no experience from it. Like, Oh, what is just sitting there and not looking at anything do for you? But like it, it, it'll change your whole outlook. It'll change your whole vibe that you have going on inside your brain. It takes a while to get used to yeah. because you never, because when you're doing it at first, you just don't know if you're doing it right. So you're like constantly in your head, like, is this the way it's supposed to be? And like, really you're trying to shut your mind off and you're trying to like let ideas come in and then you like push them aside and say, okay, I'll deal with that idea later. And you're trying to like, just feel and connect it to your body and your mind essentially through a process of slowing everything down, slowing your breathing. And when I do it, I feel better afterwards, but still in the midst of it, I feel self-conscious that I might not be doing it right. And so I've probably still done it like less than 10 times in total. Um, but it's something that after I do it and I like sit up or stand up or whatever, I feel much more mentally clear and I feel much more like energized. So I see the immediate benefits of it, but I still you know, personally haven't been able to detach at all. I have not been doing, I've not been doing great. I've been doing, uh, like before bed, uh, just not bringing, not bringing the phone into bed at all and just bringing a book or something instead. But still it's, it's in general, it's miserable. The things that Denny talked about in the last podcast about not being able to sit there and read things that are like long, long scale pieces on the internet and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I felt extremely connected to like it. Like there's stuff that I'm you just, interested you just have in. The, you just have the pull. You just have it's, the pull in the back of your head. It's always pulling you. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing if I sit down with a book, even a book that I'm interested in that I like, um, I, I have the feel like what's going on. What am I missing? And it's very, it's very difficult. Um, I feel like for me, a lot of, a lot of this stuff is influ- influenced negatively by um, honestly, by like, my DFS participation. Oh yeah. Like I feel like, I feel like I need to be around to catch news, to update projections, to do those things. So I feel constantly like pulled back in. Even like checking scores. Like last night I was refreshing the Packers Steelers preseason game <laughs> log on my phone. Like every, every five minutes, like there's no reason for that. Like there's like your lineups are locked. Like just let it go. And I don't need to be like watching every preseason snap for Jake Kumaro to like, you know, really figure out things for my drafts this year. Like it's just not necessary, but I was doing it anyway. Yeah. What can you do? I I mean, you have to try to set habits and I don't, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I haven't been able to do it, but I need to try to set habits to get myself in like present in, in the moment of each thing that I'm doing. Like, I think that's one of the, one of the negatives of like our society, like promoting multitasking, like, and I like to think of myself as a very good multitasker, but ultimately like what you're doing is you're spreading your attention span thinner and thinner. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what like the, I think the most impactful stuff will be trying to be present in whatever you're doing. And it makes me feel unproductive to do just one thing too. Mm-hmm. Cause you feel the guilt, you feel the weight of society and expectations on you that like you should be accomplishing more. It's horrible. Everyone, you know, drink a lot of water, sleep eight hours a night, 
and uh, you know, just like send your mom a text message or something. Yeah, don't don't be so uh, excited to rise and grind like Denny would. I'm I like during football season, it's it's bad. I spread myself super thin. I'm doing like nine things at once. I feel that it's horrible. Like before before I was podcasting with you, I was I was on hold with a company paying my other bills online, playing a game of Madden and texting you at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's like the, the, none of that. Like I could have just done one of those things at a time and everything would have been okay. That's, that's me. Like I'm excited to listen to a really good podcast. I put it on in the background and then I look at like what I'm doing while I'm listening to that podcast. I'm like answering questions in Slack. I'm updating projections. I'm working on NFL baseline projections. And then I like listen to the podcast at the end and I'm like, I got like five minutes of that, that I like really like honed in on and, and remembered. Drew, you need a dog, man. I think I need a kid. I think I need a kid that like, will like, you know, have my attention out on like, I think you, you get optimism in children. Like if you're around children, like when I'm around, what if like, your kid's a dick though? Well, I mean, that would take a few years to figure out. Like, True. so like the first few years it would, I'd still like, I'd have the opportunity to change. But when I'm around like my friend's kids, like when I'm around like Micah, for Leonie, like, I'm so happy. I'm just like, sure. I get lost in their world. And same thing when I'm around like my nephew, I'm like as happy as I could possibly be because they like the, you can't take your focus off them because if you do, they'll, they'll start running themselves into trouble. Yeah, they'll, they'll probably be dead. So like, you are just totally focused on them at the whole time. The rest of the world means nothing. And so like, I feel like for, <laughs> for optimism uh, purposes uh, in my, my optimistic level towards humanity, I probably need a kid. I think that's a good way to end, Megan, if you're listening, and I hope you are. I hope you heard that. Uh, Drew from DailyRodeo.com. Uh, you want to? You want? Tells me so much for the Daily Rodeo. <laughs> tells me so much. I actually I've Googled to see if there is a DailyRodeo.com. There's not. Thank you. Got to buy it and redirect. Yeah, I know. I know. We do. We should. Now that you know, that's the uh, the added cost of sponsoring the Takecast is that you then have to buy other URLs. To mostly, care. mostly proud sponsor of a <laughs> yeah. mostly sports podcast. I do like the way that that is written, uh, and I had nothing to do with that. But I do. Now, uh, by the way, I also had nothing to do yeah. with it. I like, I like the mostly proud sponsor, mostly sport. I mean, this was not even a mostly sports podcast. This was. Did we get? Was, we talked a little bit about DFS. I had, I had a question about. Talk, we didn't talk about late swap. I don't want to. I think, I, I think this is this this product is much better not talking about anything is. like that. It probably. I made that executive decision. It probably is. But yeah, if, uh, if you want another ad for dailyrodeo.com, uh, we've got a free uh, trial running uh, during the preseason where you can check out our optimizer and our projections and see what the product's like if you'd like it, uh, if you'd like to join us for this season. There we go. Everyone, check out Drew on Twitter. Check out The Welly Maker. And uh, check out dailyrodeo.com.